0: Well good morning. It's good to be standing in front of you after uh, mulching for over three hours with the youth. Yesterday I woke up this morning and could barely get out of bed. So I'm really glad to be standing before you. Um, About two and a half hours into it I was thinking I'm doing pretty good for an old man. And part of where we were mulching we had to go up this hill. And I'm taking the wheelbarrow, and I'm going up the hill, and I'm thinking, you know, it's two and a half half hours into it, and I'm doing just as good as these young guys, until I looked over. And this teenage boy has a wheelbarrow, full mulch, and he's running, running up the hill, faster than I can run down a hill with a wheelbarrow. And I thought, oh. So, but the youth did a really great job yesterday, and we're so thankful um, to be able to, to serve some of the members of the congregation but uh, again I'm reminded that I am mortal and uh, I am sore (laughs) today hey before we begin the idea for this sermon came from a conference that I saw online Um, the speaker talked about living in the land of Ur and he attributed the idea to someone else who probably got it from someone else but I just wanted to share that I don't even know who to give credit to for the title You know, so someone came up with it, but I really enjoyed the idea, and I found it helpful in my life, and I'm hoping that you will find it helpful in your life today. So, can we go to prayer for a moment? Heavenly Father, it's always good to open up your word, and I pray that you would teach us um, this morning. I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, I pray that we would be doers of the word, and Father, I ask that you'd help to grow us. Help us to grow in a greater love for you and a greater love for each other. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that want to obey. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in school, and obviously it was many years ago, I loved basketball. I really loved basketball, and I played basketball. And I played basketball right up through ninth grade, and then something happened. But actually, it's what didn't happen. (laughs) Everyone else grew! (laughs) And there isn't much need for five-foot-six point guards, at least not in my high school. And so I had to give up playing basketball in school because I wasn't tall enough. I just needed to be taller. I so badly wanted to be taller and no more basketball. I was frustrated and depressed. I was living in the land of er. For me, I wanted to be tall-er. Do you get it, all right? If I could just be taller, then I could continue to play the sport that I loved. And for you, maybe you want something. Maybe you want to be smarter, or richer, or in my case today, younger, you know? Some of you want to be older. I don't know why, but but some of you do. But you fill in the blank. If only we could be... And so we compare ourselves to others, wishing we were something we are not currently, and we end up living in the land of Ur. We compare ourselves to others. And that comparison seems to be getting worse and worse, especially with the rise of Facebook and other social media. I mean, comparison is creeping into every area of our lives. Everything is a competition today. We compare everything. It's crazy. Going on Facebook, I see people comparing their cupcakes to other people's. Seriously, all right? Or we compare our vacations, our clothing, our jobs, the number of Facebook friends that we have. Or we compare our children or our grandchildren and their achievements. I mean, there's no area in our life that doesn't escape comparison. We compare everything. So what is it in your life that takes you to the land of Ur? When do you compare yourself to others? And what is it that you compare? Comparison is a, it's a cancer, and it will kill you. It will rob you of joy, of contentment. It's a false land. It's a land of bondage. It's a land of despair. It's been said that the fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. God made me. God made you just the way he wanted, perfectly. You are his pride and joy. And yet we still like to compare ourselves to each other, and it's a trap. Because either we compare and we feel inferior, or we compare and feel superior. And neither are what God wants for us. You know, I saw a list of over 100 Bible verses that talk just about comparing ourselves to others. 100 verses. God knows it's a trap. It's a trap for us and he warns us. And this trap started in the beginning. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, so we have Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden. And of course, there's a serpent. And that's um, who's speaking at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. The fruit was desired to make one wise. Adam and Eve wanted to be something they weren't. They were not content with the wisdom they had been given. They wanted more wisdom. They wanted to be wiser. And they fell for a lie. And what they thought would bring them happiness, the er, in this case, again, being wiser, only brought a curse and death. Cain later compared himself to Abel. And because of that, sin crouched at his door, and he gave in, and he killed Abel. And he chose to live in the land of Ur. The Israelites, they sent spies into the promised land. And what happened? Well, they compared themselves with the people of the land. If you turn to Numbers chapter 13, I'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses is sending people to spy out the promised land, not just anybody. These are the best of the best. These are the chiefs. And they come back in verse 25, and they give a report. And it says, And at the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Haran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And this would have been a good report if they would have stopped right then. But the very next word, however, and this is where they start comparing, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, And along the Jordan. And then if you skip down to verse 33. And there we saw the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. The Israelites are comparing themselves to others. In this case the inhabitants of the promised land. It was already given to them. All they had to do was go in. But instead of living in the promised land, they began living in the land of Ur, the land of comparing. They wished they were bigger, they wished they were stronger, and they felt like grasshoppers. And that often happens when we compare ourselves to others. We fall short. And then we fail to achieve or do what God wants us to do because we feel inadequate. And we give up just like the Israelites and that's on the one side that's if we feel inferior but sometimes we like to uh, compare ourselves to feel superior so if you turn to Luke chapter 18 Jesus tells us a parable and it starts in verse 9 and it says Jesus or he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Jesus begins this parable in chapter 18 of Luke, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Did you hear all the errs being said? Extortioners, adulterers, collectors. Comparison after comparison after comparison. And he ended up feeling better about himself because he put others down. And he didn't leave justified, did he? He didn't leave with what he had hoped to get. Many of us have done that. We like to compare ourselves to others and say, well, I can't believe so-and-so did that or lives that, lives that way. That's just a, a nice way of saying I'm better than they are. My sin isn't that bad compared to... <laughs> and we end up living in the land of earth. Even when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and what he wants us to do, we compare. We may become jealous of what God has someone else doing or maybe not doing for him. And we compare and we get jealous. And a classic example of this is Peter and John. Jesus is resurrected. He's revealing himself to his disciples. And they are fishing. And Jesus is telling them where they can find the fish. And after this miracle... We have this dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And you can find it in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. So I already told Pastor Chris, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping ahead in in John, but I think he's okay with it. John chapter 21, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, so they had been fishing, they realized Jesus is there, they have breakfast... And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, "'Follow me.'" Well, Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, "'Lord, who is it that is going to betray you?' When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, "'Lord, what about this man?' And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? What is that to you? Peter wants to compare himself to John. He doesn't really like the things that Jesus is telling him. And so he turns and he looks at John and says, hey Jesus, what about him? And Jesus' answer is, what is that to you? Jesus immediately corrects Peter and reminds Peter, if it's my will, that's what's important. I do not have to be worrying about what God has someone else doing. I need to be worried about what I am supposed to be doing for the Lord. What is it to me if God has someone else doing something? It shouldn't matter to me. What is important is that I follow Christ. And Jesus tells all of us, you follow me. Don't worry about what others are doing. You follow me. I think the book of Hebrews expresses this thought very well. First, instead of looking and comparing ourselves to everyone else, we're to look to Jesus. Fixing our eyes on him. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, then we won't worry about everyone or everything else. And let let's be honest, we can't please others, can we? But we can please God. And God tells us here that we have a race that is set before us. And we shouldn't be getting out of our lane but run the race that is set before us. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We can't please others. And we need to be focused on Jesus. And when we focus our eyes on Jesus, it keeps us from comparing ourselves with others. Which can lead to either discouragement or pride, and neither place is where we are supposed to be. Contentment is one of the keys to avoiding the temptation of comparison, and one of the keys to contentment is thankfulness. And when we're thankful, it leads to contentment, and contentment keeps us from comparisons. And how can we be content and thankful? By taking our eyes off of the world and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because when the things of this world, the land of comparisons, the land of err, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, all that will grow strangely dim. Contentment is found in Jesus, not in anything else. And so we need to keep our eyes on Him. Second, if my eyes are on Jesus, then I can cheer others on. I'm not comparing myself to them. I can be glad for their successes, for their joys. I can rejoice with those who rejoice because I'm not comparing myself to them. I don't have to worry if they get more applause or more acclaim. I can be glad for them. There's no more jealousy, no more pride, no more envy. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, We regard them thus no longer. We're no longer to look at one another according to the flesh, according to a worldly point of view. We're to look at things from an eternal perspective. And so, if we are not living in the land of Ur, we can truly rejoice with one another. And third, we're to run with endurance the the race that is set before us. I'm not to run your race. And you're not to run my race. We're to run the race that is set before us. That is our race, our only race. And so if we're struggling with comparison, then let's go back to running our race, finding out what God wants us to be doing. And that usually involves serving others. When we are being a servant, counting others better than ourselves, then we're in step with Jesus. And then other things will not matter. We're just to run our race with endurance. And we're not to question other people's races. You know, what is that to you? But we're to follow Christ and the race that is set out for each of us. Okay, I'm going to get a little personal here. I can't fix things in my house like Mark Underwood can. Sorry, Mark, I'm going to embarrass you here, right? I can't fix things in my house like he can. I also, I also can't fix cars like Bob Hilliker. But do you know what I can fix? I can fix my eyes on Jesus. And if my eyes are on Jesus, then I'm OK. Here's the truth from Psalm 139. "O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For... when as yet there was none of them. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Would you repeat this with me? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And if Emmanuel was here, we'd be saying an amen right now, right? We don't have to compare ourselves anymore. We don't have to live in the land of earth, the land of comparison, and wanting to be smarter or stronger or richer, younger, older, whatever. We don't have to live there anymore. We just need to follow Jesus, to run the race that is set before us and to fix our eyes on Jesus Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need to turn from the land of Ur and fix our eyes on Jesus because we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. We have everything we need to serve and live for Jesus Christ. So let us run the race that has been set before us. Let's run out of the land of Ur and run into the arms of Jesus. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Is he enough for you? Or do you want to keep going back to Ur? Would you rather have Jesus... And live in his promised land or live in Ur, always wanting more. We need to be satisfied in Christ. God's not looking for a superstar. Now, this is going to be dating me to the 70s, but there is only one superstar, right? Jesus Christ is the only superstar, right? God's only looking for three simple things. Are we faithful? Are we available and are we teachable? Let's get out of the land of err, of wanting more, and let's be content with who God wants us to be. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus rather than on everything and everyone else. Team, would you lead us? God made me short, and that's okay. And God made you the way you are, and that's Okay. Let's stop living in land of error, stop comparing ourselves to each other, and let's fix our eyes.